0: Superintendent Chalmers, welcome! Hello, Seymour. So, what's the word down at one school board plaza? We're dropping the geography requirement. The children weren't testing well. It was proving to be an embarrassment. Very good. Back to the three R's. Two R's come October. Hmm. Hi, everybody. This is your host, Jeremy. On tonight's episode, I'm going to be doing a follow-up conversation with three educators who we talked to in the beginning of lockdown last year, talking about is online education actually happening or not. And after 18 months, I want to do a little follow-up talk to the same folks to see what has been learned for how do you teach either community college or grade school kids in our current environment. And if, (laughs) you, you know, can you at all? And we get into a lot of topics, everything from the, you know, what's, what the, the, the differing stress levels that educators went through to, you know, either during, you know, all online cl- classes versus pushing everybody back into the classroom, uh, also getting into what happens when the education starts to fail and what are the kind of like the political economic ramifications of that. It's a heck of a long conversation. I hope you enjoy it. If you would like to support the show, like with many left podcasters, I do have a Patreon. Head to patreon.com slash giving the mic. You can find us on Twitter and on Facebook at giving the mic. That's one word, you know, M I see and last but not least that's pretty much it yeah and if you could tell at least one other person about this because this is how our little show grows the more plus it's one of these things where i think our topic is especially going to be very relevant to any like any parent dealing with the kids in the school system right now or any any educator unionized or not so stay tuned and enjoy Of any better way to start. Hello, hello everybody. Welcome back again to Giving the Mic to the Wrong Person. I am your host and friend Jeremy, here with another esteemed uh, panel of returning champions. We're going to do a little bit of a ch- uh, follow-up episode, a check-in if you will, from the one we recorded last spring um about pretty much talking about COVID and grade school education and how like, you know, <laughs> effectively I think the group conclusion was that online education can kind of isn't. And so I wanted to bring back my three guests from that panel to, I guess, weigh in on where they are in relationship to last spring and what have they figured out from the from the experience, as it were. But at least you don't work because at least you, yeah, you're teaching at least with like, like ESL classes or... Okay.
1: Yeah, I, I work with adult students at Mountain Community College. And, yeah, they're all English learners at various points. And, yeah, going online has been great in some ways. It can be a really good thing for adult students, for parents, for people with challenging work schedules and all of that. And also, we, we've, we've been able to enroll students uh, from around the world. Because it's online. So instead of only resident students, we have students joining us from, from Europe, from Asia, from South America. So that's been pretty cool, actually. But it's still hard. It's still hard for English learners to be, to be remote as we are from one another. So there's, there are definitely uh, pros and cons. That's what I'll say about that for adults.
0: I got you. The, yeah. Which makes me think of another thing of what is the difference in impact or effectiveness or even attention in doing something live versus running something pre-taped. Because I'm just because I, I know for certain like I can't I've over the you know, since online learning, you know, through the screen has been a thing for for a minute now. Like even when I would sign up for the Lynda.com type little courses. I couldn't. I would fade off, or I can remember watching like Stephen Resnick's did a course, an entire like Yale. I think it was like a Yale econ course on Marxist econ, and I faded out of that after like ten video, after like maybe eight or ten videos, just because of there's something about in the structure of of uh, that I personally found was much better, at least when I was having you know being forced to show up in a classroom. So my own little so- thing. Oh, uh, Derek, you, oh, real quick, can you introduce yourself to the viewing audience?
2: Sure, I am, I am um, Derek Barn, I am an educator... And the Greater Salt Lake Valley fully online program, I'm the department head of the fully online program for an entire district, which is a change during COVID. My position was quite created as a response to COVID. My Our schools never shut down during COVID after the first three months. We have been in person the entire time. But the answer created for that problem for both at-risk teachers, although very few actually took them up on it, and then for at-risk students, Was an, was a voluntary online program, which I co-created with a fair amount of other people. The initial efficacy rate for online learning was about 30%. We got it up to about 80%, but it took, it took a massive change in the way we oriented things. And one of the issues that we dealt with is this whole live versus pre-record versus pre-record versus zoom. And none of them work right now. I'm going to actually tell you that because my state is an interesting state because you compare stats with in-person versus online versus versus not. And one thing I can tell you is the social economic demographic disparities got worse in all categories, regardless of whether or not a student was online or in-person. Really? Really. Hmm. So, some of that has to do with the likelihood to be of exposure and to be put in quarantine by exposure in their family. Some of it has to do with the fact that working families never ha- don't have the time to help their kids with school if they're in person or out of it. Some of it has to do with the fact that a lot of kids acted like they were, they were traumatized when they were in person. Behavior instances dropped by about 70%. Hmm. during COVID in person because people were not socializing, etc. cetera. We don't have a mask mandate and we're a test to stay. So it's a very different environment than what you're dealing with in, say, Oregon. And I would say that I don't know how I feel about it. Vaccination rates amongst teenagers are not great here, but they're also not super low. It's probably around 45 to 50%. So no herd immunity, but it's not nothing. There are certain schools that have strong mask mandate suggestions, but this is another state where that was politicized, although initially it wasn't. So mask compliance for students is probably about 20% for students in person. But a lot of the at-risk students are at home, and it really varies by county and by, by economic demographic. So there, it's a weird... It's a weird code. and one thing I can one thing I can tell you because I'm now working at a district level, I actually have hard data for a lot of this. Rather
0: than just like one your class, thing that
2: I can tell you is that mass compliance is particularly low amongst working class kids of all races and amongst conservative kids. And of course, we're not asking kids if they're conservative; it's a proxy based on. What district that they're in,
1: mm-hmm.
2: or what part of our district that they're, what, what sub district that they're in are in Utah. The districts are not drawn exactly to political boundaries. So for reasons of basically avoiding getting sued. They're drawn so that most most school districts have both low and high income. And if there is racial diversity in the area, that at least some schools are racially diverse. So the districts are looked weirdly gerrymandered actually to accommodate that. But and that's true in the greater Salt Lake Valley, which is where most of the population of Utah is. So so we can we actually do have some data that's very interesting and like mass noncompliance is not just among the very conservative. It's also pretty common amongst working class students increasingly as the pandemic went on there are other concerns and other drifts and there's been a massive change in politics uptick in complaints about CRT mm. uptick in complaints about emo- social emotional learning uptick in complaint and and not and actually this is not coming so much from like people coming and screaming at school boards it's coming from school board Minority position school board members complaints about CRT and social and emotional learning being commie conspiracy to turn the kids gay. Great. I mean, that's not exactly what they said,
0: but that's all, it's all but what they said. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, yeah. Let, let us pause there and, and bring in our third panelist who happens to be my sister. Uh, Beth, can you say hello to the listening audience?
3: Hello. My name is Bethany and I teach middle school just outside of Raleigh, North Carolina.
0: And can you give us an update as to how things have changed or not changed from where you were 18 months? I don't know. What? 17 months? What's time? Oh, a year and a half ago.
3: It's <laughs> like, when is that? Um. So everybody's in person. Last year, for the first two months, we were all remote. And then we came back in cohorts. And then at spring break, they decided to bring everybody back. There were the people who were, there was still about half the school was online, and then they brought, instead of cohorts, everybody was in person. So for my school, with everybody being there, it's around, it's between, well, let's just say it's about 900 for the three grades. So this year, we only have at our school, because everything's done countywide, our school this year only has maybe 40 kids that chose to be virtual for the whole year. And they are running it district wide, and then so they have a huge issue on staffing. One just for doing the online classes, and then two just teachers quitting left and right. But we have a mass mandate in the county, in even in Raleigh, for any business, gyms, most, almost anything. You have a mass mandate for anything inside. And then schools, you have the mask mandate for everyone. And then you definitely can tell our students whose family are very right-wing because their masks are... You know, you have to tell them every two minutes to put it above their nose. You know, it's always trying to be to the side. And then our administrators have had to call home because they struggle with masks because the teachers have refused to call home and say they have a problem with masks because we're not, we don't want to, we're not trying to get into that fight, you know, that can go forever with parents about wearing it. And so, you know, mo- half the families of the school are just, cause it's, we're in a definitely an um, upper middle class area you know, don't say, well, we don't do that at home. So that's not really mandatory for us. But we have our rules for the county are, if you are sitting next to a person for less than 15 minutes, then you don't, and they get COVID, you don't have to quarantine as long as you had mask on. And if you have for our kids, since it's middle school, since we're probably about half Around half are vaccinated. Like I have one girl that just got COVID last Thursday and our COVID admin came around asking, because she is a horrible mask wear, admin came around had to know who are the people that sit in her little pod. Because they wanted us to put everybody in a little pod, like fours or five, instead of big rows. So if they wipe, if they take somebody out, it's only that small pod of kids, instead of everybody. Yeah, so make it I,
0: mo- make it modular.
3: Yeah, so I had to give the names of the other three students that always sit by her and we knew it was only time because she never wears her mask. It's you know, it's always around and but if they just changed the rule, if you have a if a child has a vaccine and even though they sit next to somebody who might have gotten COVID, they do not have to quarantine for any time because they have the vaccine and they were wearing a mask at school. So they're they changed a bunch because there was there were so many kids that would be white that would be having to quarantine for two to three weeks. Last spring, if anybody near them got COVID, even if they had a mask, if anybody was in within six feet of them for more than 15 minutes, so that would be, you know, every class, they would have to quarantine for two full weeks as well. So the county's trying to get around that by saying, if you have a vaccine and someone next to you gets COVID, you do not have to quarantine.
2: Yeah. So similarly in Utah... the, the, the health board, after strong pressure from the legislature, has said that if you are exposed and, you, and test negative on a quick test, you do not have to quarantine until, until you have symptoms and you can test out on a quick test. It, it doesn't work as poorly as some might have feared. We have not had massive COVID outbreaks, but we have had a slow, steady trickle upwards, particularly in the below 12 where no one is vaccinated. -hmm. So it's, so we have even more relaxed rules on that. We have also not, we've also been encouraged to space and use pods. There's no way we, you know, the average class size in Utah is 40. Oh. So Jeez. so there's no way that there was a uh, social distancing ever going on. And there is kind of absurdities around this. I mean, even I was laughing when we were like, we, we make kids have mask mandates and then we put them in the lunchroom and <laughs> they take off their mask and eat in close proximity with no social distancing possible. So like, what was the point? So
3: yeah, we have, we have. Our lunches have now been divided. So we have two lunch per grade level. And even though kids sit next to each other, there's no one that they're facing. And then there's an open table in front of them. Mm. But you could still, you know, talk to the person next to you without a mask. And then if you are outside, let's say for sports, football game, soccer game, fans do not have to wear a mask if they want to. But they determine that football players, if they are not playing let's say they huddle up they're supposed to put a mask on real quick which we were like okay well that doesn't really make sense just for them because not people watching the game that are next to each other don't wear masks but you can really tell schools who are not great at mandating the mask by seeing the, where the outbreaks are and the way that they're doing outbreaks by me are if there is like a big bubble of kids they will Basically make that grade level stay home for two weeks and do online for two weeks and then they come back. So they're more, instead of like taking a whole school down, they're kind of like, okay, well, the sixth grade is now remote for two weeks. And they've only had to do that a couple times. But different schools will have those pods. And you can tell because with coaching volleyball, we had an official that was like threw a yellow card twice to a player because she kept wearing her mask below her chin during volleyball on the instant. You have to wear your mask the whole time and their whole team you know couldn't wear masks right even their coach would take her mask down to speak versus our team that has masked up the whole time you know breathing heavy me and my buddy who coach never pull our masks to talk, and so you can really tell what schools are strict on it and what schools aren't.
0: What do you, What do you think determines? Well, let's say, Well, first, Melissa, you have you. Whenever you were teaching, you were, were you always one hundred percent online, or did you ever do uh, classroom stuff too, or did it shift from one to the other? You're, you're muted.
1: Sorry, because I, mean, I didn't think you wanted to hear the cat talking behind me. Um,
0: it wouldn't be a, so it wouldn't be a leftist podcast otherwise.
1: 100% online since April 2020, and just this fall term, we did. We're doing a few beginning level ESL classes on campus. Not as many as been intended because nobody wanted to teach. <laughs> nobody wanted to teach on campus. So, well, not nobody, but very, very few. So, there's a couple classes. Um, so, but yeah, everything. Everything that I've been doing, it's been, yeah, 100% online. And so even in the other, the other small set of classes that I do that are like community ed classes for, uh, Head Start parents, we're doing that online. We stayed online even though their kids are going back. The parents prefer it. So I don't prefer it, but the parents prefer it. So, uh, we're just, I'm just going with that for them. Yeah. So.
0: Gotcha.
1: Online all the time.
0: Yeah, like one question, uh, Dirk. You probably know this more than the rest of the rest of us, but I'm kind of. And Beth, you were teaching. You were doing like pre-taped little lecture, like little mini mini lectures before, weren't you?
3: I did mine. We would be live. So last school year when we started remote for those two months, we were for the hour-long class. The first thirty minutes you were live, and then the second thirty minutes was like their work time kind of thing, and then. If a kid had a question, then they could pop back on or anything. So I didn't record anything that they had to watch. But all of our work was we created digital notebooks. So they would get the work for the week. And then every day we would focus on, you know, Monday we're doing this. And then so this year we have continued doing that because the county, every student in the county got a brand new laptop if they didn't get a brand new one last year. So everybody, Every day has their Chromebook. And then if they didn't bring it that day, each classroom has like seven old ones that they can use just for that class. But we, my department has most things still almost all work online because there's so many kids that will pop in and out, you know, like they, if what they're not realizing is if they email us and say, oh, I have a cold, I'm going to stay, I have to stay home today. Well, because they said that, we have forward it to our COVID admin and then that admin contacts the parent that day and say your child cannot come back without, you know, a negative COVID test. So because our kids are so in and out, especially during now with allergy season, for us, it's a lot more helpful to do it online because gotcha. then they're not they're like they already have the work to them.
2: Yeah. And I am not in a normal classroom program anymore. The oh, prior okay. year, the prior year we had teachers, we had our program, which was the all online program. And we had teachers who would be ready to go online at any moment. And they were effectively online too. That is ended because you cannot ask teachers to do that for multiple years. During the first year of COVID, Utah actually had less of a problem with teacher retention than the prior years. But then the very beginning of this year, Several schools had mass stat. Well, not mass, but like four or five teachers walk out in the first week. Wow. So we've
3: already had two. One quit the day before school started. One is on like a seven-week leave. She used personal leave for that six weeks. And she's also looking for another job out of Pina. And then my other friend who transferred to a different school just put in her notice to be done at the end of the quarter, because we're we're basically everybody's just over it. We're all done because the amount of extra that now we're having to do Like the first week of school, I had meetings every day that didn't have to be there, you know, during your planning. And so now you're covering as well. So we there's no subs. Like we have like two or three subs sometimes. So the staff has to cover during your planning. And so people are just kind of over it because, you know, especially in my state where they don't pay well. And in Raleigh with all the tech, everybody, people are just, they're done. They're leaving. They're over it.
2: The dynamics are actually very similar, I imagine, between North Carolina and Utah, where we where the city has plenty of work and some of it's good work and everybody has a labor shortage right now. And I think that was, you know, Utah was depending on everybody being scared during the first year. And, you know, as a teacher, you had a guaranteed job and that's not people aren't scared anymore because there's plenty of work. And I mean, and. I'm also involved in the union. The union during the beginning of COVID saw a massive increase in membership. However, during the last year, from both, from both sides of the political debate, so very labor involved teachers and very rural conservative teachers have both been leaving the union in mass. The labor involved teachers, because the union was seen as actually being more aligned with the legislature than even the School board departments, and they—they have, you know. And since I'm on the inside, I can say this: mm. there have been people who have said that they actually felt more supported by even wackadoo school boards than they did by the union because of the union's legislative ambition to stay in line with a conserv- with a with a republic, with, with the exception of SLC. So, so there was that end of it. And then on the other end of it, the response to the NEA a race first policy, the response to mass and the response to the net, you know, the people thinking that the union was basically more aligned with the Democrats. And I mean, one thing that people don't realize about Utah is it's a strong union state in education, despite being very, very conservative. That's actually quite rare in the South that doesn't happen, for example. But right. Yeah, it
0: see, is, that a, is, that, is that a Western thing or an LDS thing as opposed to a Southern?
2: Both. It's both. Okay. Uh, it, uh, now, the immediate, it's more LDS, actually. In the immediate Western, like, like Colorado, the Union's been decimated. But the, in, the historical uh, teachers' union in Utah actually was, despite being culturally somewhat like pretty conservative, mostly LDS. They used to be militant. That has changed over the past decade as the union has been more and more involved in, in lobbying organizations, and it seems to have accelerated during COVID. I can't say that they lost more than they gained. I don't know. I'm not. I'm not a Uniserve, but they lost a lot during the second half of the of the year and it was from they were getting hammered from both sides. So that dynamic has changed. There's a lot of distrust right now.
0: That's a kind of universal statement now, isn't it?
2: Right. With well there's a lot of distrust w- between the institution and the memberships. I don't think this is generalizable. I don't think this situation is generalizable to all states. Different unions have handled it differently and the UEA and the NEA are, you know, the more they're the more staid union than say the the AFT, but it's it's still been difficult. I think one of the other things is the AFT, um, the uh, that's the American Federation of Teachers, was taking slightly stronger stances on COVID nationally and locally during the Trump administration, but did not do so nationally. Once the Biden administration said that it's one of its primary goals was going to be to open up the schools again. So that also has damaged the reputation amongst some teachers here. What's interesting about the approach is right now, I think it, it's very, very hard to generalize because the federal government, other than flooding us. I mean, I will say they have flooded us with money, which is well, not bad. Yeah, but, that's, that's at least
0: something. But
2: that money doesn't go to staff. That money is, like, for auxiliary, this, that, and the other. You like, like, can't like, use it for, like, staffing like, lines.
0: Oh, so, like, like, for, like, tech or executives or something, or...
2: No, I mean, it's for, like, tech or it's like, for, for temporary overtime pay for teachers if your state does that. Some states don't. Our uh, state
3: did, where, or at least our county, we, every school, got two intervention teachers, that are guaranteed for this year. And then we did have summer school last year. And the summer school pay rate was phenomenal. So people were like desperately trying to get it because they were being paid. I think the pay rate was like either 15 or 20 years with a master's education, you know, per hour. However it worked out was amazing. But, you know, they didn't even offer summer school and social studies that I teach, of course. You know, it was just... Math, ELA, and science and some electives, but they, that's how they really offered a lot of money was that. And then we all have an inst- Two intervention teachers, but I don't know how long that's guaranteed for.
2: Yeah, so we've seen a lot of increase in money, but it's all super temporary. But beyond that, there hasn't been a lot of federal leadership, actually. Like, like it feels like the states are basically all...
0: Winging it on their own? It's
2: feder- is always very federated and more than people realize. But But right now, it's the most I've ever been. Like, I can't generalize from state to state what's going on. Like, at all. What the money's being spent on is not clear from state to state. And so, what... You know it's going to be interesting we'll, we'll in about five, ten years, we will know a lot about how this is playing out. But what I can tell you right now is the initial data is pretty disheartening that the accelerations and and literacy problems in the upper grades that we began to see around two thousand and fifteen on nationwide test scores, the first it's been the that's been the first decrease in general in general literacy scores after eighth grade in like a hundred years in the United States. And that's basically since we've been measuring it. You think that's that t- happened in 2015? That's accelerated, but it's hard to know. I mean, like what, wh- how can you say if a test is valid right now? Like, yeah,
0: I was gonna say that seems like, that's like, like so heavily overdetermined where you there's not, there's, there's nothing you can isolate.
1: Right,
3: right, and even last year, you are. You know, we take an end of grade test for. It starts in third grade, and then once you become in high school, it's the end of course test. You didn't even have to take it last year. So if you didn't show up that day, and then you missed the makeup day, you didn't have to take it. So that shows you our testing. I will say i some of the most difficult grades that are being affected would be like 4th grade, 7th grade which what i teach and then freshmen, sophomores. My students this year, i had we've never had the amount i mean middle school kids are just completely off at all points in time. You know, they're up, they're down, their emotions are crazy. You know, they're still forming so much emotionally and mentally and the past year and a half with those kids that were like in fourth fifth sixth grade my seventh graders this year especially males have like the lack of common sense the lack of understanding what it's like to have to be in a classroom and follow rules the social behavior between them is like nothing we've ever seen and I taught sixth grade for about 10 years and they are they're so developmentally like socially below that it is it's it's just wild and I think that's part of the reason why so many teachers are I'm over it you know last month it was the whole let's destroy bathroom you know across America Every school had it. Our school had it. No, you know, our school's it, had it,
2: too. We lost $10,000 in property. Someone stole a urinal.
3: Yes. They're, like, ripping everything off the walls. Jeez. They're trying to destroy bathrooms, you know, because of the TikTok Wait, trends.
2: Yeah. It, There's TikTok trends. And, uh, I mean, I know some some foolish lefty friends of mine who have thought that this will lead to this equipment being replaced. And I laughed at them. I was like, I know, no, I that was stuff is just, just destroyed. It's yeah, not coming had, back.
3: We had to have a talk. Like I sat down with my kids one day and I just said, does this school have brand new everything? Like, you know, do you guys get state of the art everything other than these brand new laptops? And they said, no. I said, so you're trying to destroy the one place where we struggle to get basic needs met. And I said, when you destroy it, it doesn't get replaced. I said, so all these bath we have three bathrooms on our, on our hall, which is a ton for like for how spread out our school is we had to go down to one. I said, so remember when you have to go to the bathroom? Well, now you have to wait because you're sharing that bathroom with 150 other boys. And there's only two stalls in that bathroom that are available to you. I said, so when you think you're being funny and you're going to do this or that, I said, have fun when you have to go to the bathroom and you can't go. I said, you literally can't physically go to the bathroom. You can't wash your hands There's no soap. They ripped soap dispensers off the wall. I said, when do you think that's going to get fixed? I was like, we're not getting that fixed anytime soon. So have fun with your hand sanitizer. And I said, and I need you to think about that because my, I, I, the kids and their loss of any understanding of like how tool is so much this year where so many teachers are like, I'm over this. I don't have to, you know, I don't have to do this anymore. I have a spouse that has a good job. I'll, I would rather do anything else, you know, than be in this, this situation where I'm being disrespected on a constant basis by children. The,
2: the, the most recent deviant licks trend is actually assault. So, Right. And in Utah, I actually fear for students' lives when they do that because in Utah, teachers can conceal care illegally on campus.
3: We had our SRO came in and, and had a talk with every class. And I told the kids. I told them straight up. I said if you ever thought about hitting or slapping a teacher because you think you would be funny, I said, if anyone thought about doing that to me, I said, I will ruin your life and not feel bad about it because you think it's funny to physically assault a person for a trend. And our officer came in and our officer is from Brooklyn. He was a cop there for 20 years and then he retired here and has a great gig being a SRO, you know, in an upper middle class school. He loves life and he came and talked to all the kids about it. And he said, he said, I will be your best friend or I will, your worst nightmare. If you ever think about putting your hands on a teacher, the people who are the only people on your side in life, you know, who go out of the way to do all these things because they don't, they don't allow so many of our kids, they don't get it like they're like well what's the problem
2: we were just kidding yeah i mean it does seem like it does seem like actually we've been able to stem the potential for assault but that was actually one of the trends one of the problems that we have with this is there's been movement to reduce the dependence on sros for a long time and particularly even in a conservative state like utah because we are we are we all are very concerned about the school of prison pipeline that is is doffing because people are afraid of assault so like I can't speak for everywhere and but it's the, the the now we haven't had a teacher be assaulted yet in my district but I know it has happened in my state and they throw the book at the kid you know and I'm it's hard for me to argue about that one way or the other but it's it's it is concerning and it's it's spiraling. However, if I'm, if I'm really honest, what our concern here in Utah is, and this is somewhat unique to Utah, is teen suicide rates, which hmm. during the beginning of the pandemic actually dropped, but in the last six months has been accelerating at a rapid pace. Jeez. Uh, and, and unfortunately, and this luckily has not happened nationally yet. There has been a turn on social and emotional learning and social and emotional learning is code word for we're teaching you life skills in high school that will decrease the likelihood that you will try to enact suicidal ideation. And we have
3: SEL as well. Like two days a week, two right. mornings, homeroom mornings, we do a second step program and they are trying to incorporate SEL in every bit of thing, like having chat, you know, not putting desk in the way, having a real chat with kids, learn, you know, little, leaving little bits about like how, do what happens when you come across a roadblock in life? What do we Has do? Has that
2: do? been politicized you,
0: in your state yet? You're to know, so say, going? Is that going to get targeted?
3: It's Um, getting targeted in
2: Utah. It's
3: definitely going to be We, in our district, we tried to do it about two or three years ago. And our very right-wing moms group in our area went insane about it to the board, to the state. I mean, it was insane about, you know, just like having chats with the kids. They were so against it so we call yeah. it second step now
2: yeah we, we've tried that too but they've they're now like a, a school a state level school board leader who has has luckily been voted down on all their terms try to even ban words like bias from the curriculum one district and i'm not going to name the district it's not mine has removed all references to bias or race in any form or fashion and and they're being sued by the feds for civil rights violation as they're doing this so clearly they're more afraid of the parents than even the feds and and so that's also led to a lot of teachers becoming incredibly frustrated because you know I, you know, yeah, I'm a I'm a rabid lefty or whatever, but that's not the majority of the teachers in in my in my cohort and in the people I work with. I would say they're probably mostly center right There's a pretty even split between Democrats and Republicans. And that's I mean, it, it has put it actually probably has turned a lot of teachers more hostile to the right in Utah because of the politicization of social and emotional learning or even rebranding it. In a state that literally has the highest teen suicide rate in the country. So, I mean, we by far have the highest teen suicide rate in the country.
1: that is?
2: No. I mean, some of it is elevation and SRIs don't work as well. Because in the Mountain West in general, the suicide rate is higher. But but that that doesn't explain the teen suicide rate in specific so we live in a very conservative culture and it's different and it's it's actually differently conservative than the rest of the nation yeah. and that's also something that like whenever i speak about utah's educational problems some of it is totally unique to us like we have funding issues that no amount of property tax raising could fix because because the average family here has 3 to 3 to 5 kids per household as opposed to the average family everywhere else, where it's two. So, oh. like, you know, we have some special, we have some unique concerns. But it's 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 been a big deal this year, and we had respite from it last year. I mean, ironically, we really did. During the beginning of COVID, we had at least a, a decrease of reported attempts. And now, my my boss, who I'm not going to name, but has has said that he thinks that a lot of it, that it was a lot of it, a lot of the suicidal ideation. And attempts to enact that were not reported during early COVID, and we just didn't hear about it. But we don't know. Like that—that that is just speculation. But it's—it's it's bad, and it was bad beforehand. I don't want to make it sound like it's just been COVID because I mean it's been it's been a, like a, an epidemic in Utah for a while. But it being a concern of fairly well-funded teachers' groups and linked with CRT, critical race theory, is something that is new. Like, it being all, like, being treated as, like, oh, social and emotional learning, anti-bias education, you know. And actually, weirdly, right now, for the first time in my life, the science curriculum is the only thing that isn't politicized. Like,
0: curious. Curious. <laughs>
2: Like uh, so, take like, normally that's what we're fighting over, but like it's not right now. Yeah,
0: take that, take that, Discovery Institute. I was gonna say, uh-huh. Melissa, have you seen any results of like the same kind of like either desocialization or social fragmentation amongst either either your coworkers or uh, students in in your classes?
1: Well, you know, I, I mean. I'm part-time faculty, so, I mean, we're already a very disconnected group of educators. So it's not a whole lot worse, actually, during the pandemic, because, you know, so few of us are on campus at the same time anyway when we teach in the real world. So, no, I mean, no, I wouldn't say that. I wouldn't say that about my colleagues. It's hard to tell with students. It's just really hard to tell, you know? I, I think... Some of the, particularly like the moms that I work with who are home with their kids. I mean, before they went back to school, I, there, I think there was some fair amount of isolation there, which was in fact, um, driving their improved attendance in my, in my ESL classes just because, hmm. you know, they wanted to connect with people somehow. And I, you know, I'm really like very consciously making sure that we do have time to have some sort of of informal you know not curriculum focused just check-ins just just to make sure that we can sort of all be human beings together as much as we can with a screen in front of us so yeah i mean like i said earlier you know there are there are pros and cons to this situation, but I will say that listening to Bethany and Derek, I'm very grateful that I work with adults. We we, we don't have children tearing up our bathrooms. We just um, can't ever pass a bond, so our bathrooms just fall apart. So, and I, I mean that this whole, like this assault thing that you're talking about is, is terrifying and very upsetting, and I'm extremely sorry that people working with younger kids are going through this. That's appalling. And this is just driven by social media, well, oh, I don't yes. think there,
3: so. There, well, I think it's I think it's a reaction, you know, of just people being fed up. And the problem is, you see, all you see on the news are you know so many crazy parents screaming, you know, and at the beginning of the year, teachers being assaulted by parents, you know, and so much of it is over the mask issue and, you know, trying to stay healthy kind of things. And so I think so many kids that that's just what they see is that it's fine to get into, you know, these teachers faces. And I think it just depends on your area where we start every day art, like school wide. We start every day with good things. Mm-hmm. So yeah. It's, you know, just like, coming into class, tell me some good things, you know, what's going on, you know, celebrating our kids. They started doing on morning announcements. Our kids are doing the announcements and they read even just like saying who's ever birthday that it is school wide that day. And they're really trying to do a lot of kid focused things to like, make kids happy. I think because so many of them last year were just at home and they did nothing, but a lot of it is almost too much because sometimes I feel like I'm having to be like this ringmaster putting on the show to keep their attention. And a lot of my issue now is constantly monitoring that they're not watching YouTube or playing a game on their laptops when they're supposed to be doing, you know, certain things. I think, Online learning, it I think it pushed us, everyone, to get online, and a lot of teachers made them uncomfortable, like a lot of older teachers who were like, I don't want to do this online. And I think it basically, it was a long time coming, and then it just forced everyone to do it. And our school, with so many kids being online, I would say a hard thing is for them to realize they actually have to submit work. So like they they'll say, well, oh, I did it. But like having to turn it in, understanding that they get a grade for things and it's not like, oh, I just put some stuff down. It's fine. Or, you know, I just showed up to class. It's fine. Because last year when it was just so brand new, you know, and kids could turn things in whenever and, you know, they could say even if they were absent for the live lesson, they could still be marked present for it if they emailed you or did work that day or anything kind of. You know, so I think what was really detrimental is getting kids to finish things and the plagiarism is awful because they just want to copy and paste everything because that's what's so easy. You know, so if we take notes, so there are some things and they were just like, I don't. What am I supposed to do? And I was like, well, you answer, you know, you draw out. We're talking about exploration. All right. We'll draw out Magellan's crowd. Well, how am I supposed to draw it? I was like, I don't know. Pick up your pencil on the map. Like, what What do you, you know, I passed out paper and it was really difficult for a lot of kids because they had done everything online and they only do very few paper and pencil things like they do it in math but they don't do it much else
0: yeah uh, yeah this so. was those was to say this kind of made me oh, use this as a kind of a transition of like what uh, you know aside from I mean there's the question I didn't want to ask a question of like you know have everybody speculate on what would cause such rapid either de or that kind of a social fragmentation or like even like just basic it seems almost like it was like a like a, a mass de-skilling over the course of 12 months or something but one of the questions I did want to ask is either your experience or if you happen to know any of like the research about it is what actually seem what subjects can be taught in what ways and what do you think the difference is between for retention when it's when you're you know it's it's a it's it's a live you know it's a live it's you know a live two-way stream versus like the kids watching or the student or you know whatever age just watching some sort of like pre-taped vid it's like have we figured out have we figured out yet like what actually works for what and on whom? No. Okay. And yeah.
2: So 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 I mean one thing I'll just say is, you know, it's literally my job to to do the research on this. And I've been following online education for, for twelve years. I've like I've been both uh an advocate and an opponent of it depending on how it is implemented and how it is used. One thing I can tell you is that there is no generalizable way for us to say exactly what works versus versus online and, and in-person education. One thing I can also say is the initial research on online education, which was done about 20 years ago, hmm. was based off people... Uh, mostly young adults who, who already had a traditional education and knew how to contextualize a, a Boolean search and do that research. We saw in the 10 years after that decreases where, like, students don't know how to Google things correctly. And if you ask them a question, they'll copy and paste. I don't even have to fail them for plagiarism because what they copied and pasted was wrong.
3: Yeah, uh, they don't. They look at like one don't. word in it, and then they believe, oh, well, that's what I'm going to copy and paste because it used that one same one word. And like with online learning, we'll def. I had some kids that flirt. Yep, it's really strong. They, they did not do well in middle school. They did not do with all those people. They, their grade were improved so much when they were at home and doing everything online. And then it's the same for the other way. You had other kids where they just dropped because they need to be in that classroom around other kids and that feel and that comfort of somebody being there. And I think that's what's going to be really hard overall is some kids just flourish being able to do all these things online and then some kids don't. And I think that's always going to be hard when looking at the research of what worked and what doesn't work. Because I think a lot of it is, you know, how kids are wired and where they are socially, you know, just they are uncomfortable around a large group of people. And you don't want to make them so that they are always a, like they don't ever want to be around groups of people. But some just really prosper in that.
2: So I think what a lot of what we have realized in the last year is that school has many Social functions of the United States, and I would actually say that what this has exposed to me—that I kind of already knew, but is undeniable now—education is actually the least of primary and secondary schools' functions. If we're completely honest, we ha- we are a daycare. Yes. We are a way to keep kids from flooding the job market when they're in high school. We are we are a we are a lot of things. We are we we make sure these kids get fed. We make sure that. They have clothing. I mean, like, you know, that's literally a part of my job is, like, we have principals' pantries and stuff. We give kids clothes. Right. We we do social and emotional stuff to keep these kids functioning. And their parents, despite the fact they're also complaining about us doing this, cannot function without it. Yep. And I don't blame the parents for that. Like, it's child care super unbelievably expensive, actually. It's something I also learned this year.
3: Childcare is in...
0: Well, yeah, that there was one there of the reasons why in Portland we had the, we had a big we had the Universal Pre-K the Pre-Skate Ballot Initiative that we surprisingly won, and at least it's a start. But it's like, yeah, it's kind of like and it's one of those things where yeah, I think a lot of people, especially a lot of folks in power, don't realize or don't care that for a lot of folks, like that you know that stuff that stuff costs as much you know as much if not more than rent.
2: Yeah, it's 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 unbelievably high, and the. Well, the thing is, what I found ironic in this, I, I noticed at the beginning of COVID, and it's only gotten more intense. The people who were pushing online education, charterization, diversity, and school choice in the beginning, like up until COVID, are now all the people trying to force the schools open to limit their diversity and limit school choice. But we, we have gotten around it in Utah by the fact that we figured out how to use some legal loopholes to do things that would normally require charterization to do. Not as charter schools. So like the one thing that I could say about my school and what I've done is that we've opened an online alternative learning program and we're getting it accredited now. That's not a charter school. So all the staff there gets paid as a teacher. And we, you know, now, and there was some pushback to that until people looked at how many hours we clocked because I actually work more now as an online teacher than I did as an in-person teacher. I can clock the hours and I can prove it. Like, cause I'm, I'm logged in and I think I would turn about 55, 60 hours a week.
0: Has that been and a better, a better or worse experience emotionally for you?
2: It's just different. OK, so if I'm honest with you, I'm I miss a whole lot of stuff about teaching. But I also realize like and, and what I do now is teaching, but it's teaching in a very different way. It's more like a podcast. I do interact live with students every, every day of the week. So like I talk to them in person and I re- I also record it so they can go to a live session or come and watch the watch it and then interact with me in schedule times. Emotionally, for me personally, what I can say is. I lost the energy of interacting with kids all day and that is sad, but I also am not managing their behavior on a microscopic level to make sure that they conform in a classroom. And after it was one of those things when, when I did this last year and then realized that I've been doing it and it really kind of stressed me out and I'm good at it. Like I didn't have a lot of behavior problems, but like when I didn't have to do it anymore, I was like, oh, Oh, that's, a, that's been a low key stressor in my life that I didn't realize. And so it, to me, it's been a trade off. Like I lost that and that was, that I didn't even realize was bad until it was gone. And I was like, oh, yuck. And then when I, but I also do not get the same level of interaction. Like I have some kids that know me pretty well as their teacher, but a lot of them know me as a talking head in a box. And it's a different, it's a completely different thing. I also will say that my program is, is, Good for people and to use a fancy educational statistical term and bimodal situations. So like we're very good with certain kids who are high achieving and from fairly well off social economic backgrounds. And we're pretty good with certain kinds of kids from lower social economic backgrounds who are working now and using us to be able to work and support their families and stay in school, which they would use to just disappear. Mm -hmm. I I also teach a lot of pregnant teens now who need the space for that and they just need the space yeah and and their work is irregular so they'll sometimes work with me intensely for a week and they'll disappear for two or three weeks and they'll just sign on so I can't count the Manson and then they'll do a bunch of work with me and interact with me a bunch in that situation I think we are excelling but I think for the average student particularly the average disadvantaged student it's not probably the greatest option they need the social encouragement they need the social services the school can provide too and while they're still entitled to those from from an online student like they're still entitled to free lunch if they want to come pick it up et cetera, et etc if they qualify for it it's harder for them to access that's no denying that now and we were actually better at this in the beginning of the pandemic because in the beginning of the pandemic since everyone was online we had complete access we actually gave away more free lunches to kids than we ever had ever because we mm-hmm. gave away free lunches to everybody. Like we didn't we, we didn't even check. We were just like, okay, you prove you're a student and here, have a free lunch. Like that's right. what we were doing during COVID.
3: So. my kids now love that everything is free lunch. So especially my boys at lunch, they bring a lunch and then they also get a lunch because <laughs> the lunch is free and they're like, why would I turn down a second lunch? So
0: It's almost um, like a hobbit thing.
3: What about breakfast? I've already had it. We've had one, yes. What about second breakfast?
0: Second lunch. Yeah,
3: like, our kids, I would say, it It took like, it. I think about, after about three or four weeks of school, so the first month they weren't doing it, and then I think all of a sudden one did it. He's like, I'm gonna get a lunch. And they're like, you have your lunch. He's like, yeah, but I'm still so hungry. And then they started realizing, oh, we can have two lunches at one time. This is amazing. So I, like, half of my class, My the class that I take to lunch, three fourths of that class are boys that are like, yep, we're in this. Like we are gonna. They bring their lunch, plus they bought plus they get the free lunch, and they love it. What about 11s? Lunches, afternoon tea, dinner, supper. Like they're pumped about it. I, I will say, going back to when you talking about being online, teaching online for me was so easy. I was like, this is great. Now, I will, I did have that feeling of like, they don't know me as well as kids would know me in person, even though I would have like certain kids that would be online every time and they wanted to see the dogs and they wanted to, you know, talk about randomness. It, I had, my stress level was so low. I was like, I feel great today. I'm like, I'm not tired. What's going on? And then I realized it was, it's because when you're back in that classroom, And you have to micromanage every minute of that class because I have to know what all 30 of them are doing at all times, plus teaching them, plus managing if something's in the hall, plus this, plus, you know, when you took all of that out of having to manage the classroom, I was like, oh, this is so great. I was like, teaching is so, like, this is the easiest I've ever had in my life. And this year is year 18. And I've told everyone, this is the hardest year of teaching for me like the first month of school I just kept saying maybe I'm awful at this maybe this is not what I should do maybe I don't know what I'm doing like I had I had second-guessed everything I was doing because everything was so hard because it was times a hundred of what last year had been hmm. because even when all the kids came back my biggest cl- my biggest class was like 18 kids you know because half the kids were online and you didn't have all of these issues now that I'm back with You know 30 kids and they are back ready to go and ready to be around all their friends you know it just had me questioning like maybe i'm horrible at this and i my classroom management i have very few behavior issues and a lot of times i in the past i've been the classroom where the student that doesn't go to iss they or alternative learning center they would be put in the back of my classroom there was like three of us teachers And they would take kids and put them in our classroom. So we managed them all day. And this year, though, going from such low stress last year to maximal, I mean, it was it was insane. I was like, why am I crying again? What's happening? And you could just feel this pressure among everyone in school. Like, I'm done. This is it. I'm over. Like, you know, everybody being back in school. And then on top of that, it was as if our meetings were doubled, you know, and covering teachers who were out has doubled and, you know,
2: yeah, there are know, no subs I, anymore. Like they're, yeah. like, they're just gone. Like
3: uh, the, um, people are like, why would I want to come and sub? This sounds awful. You know, we have one sub, she's amazing. And her, it's cause her daughter's at school. She used to be a middle school teacher and this is her youngest daughter. And she was like, yeah, I'll come and help, help out, you know, but one of our subs that, that we've been relying on is a woman I taught with at that school for a couple of years until she retired And she's still like she she retired 10 years ago and she's got back issues or she's been sick. And I'm like, Sandy, you need to stay home and rest. She's like, well, what am I going to do if I'm home? But she should not physically be in the classroom. But like our school's so desperate to have, you know, people cover one of my online classes. I teach for my second job through my virtual public school job I teach for. They have fun Fridays now. Because every other Friday about they don't have enough teachers to cover classes or they can't get enough subs. So they have to combine. Their smaller classes together a little
0: around during recess or something for eight hours or what
3: it, yeah they just like they are they just do fun Friday and they do random activities because they they just don't have enough adults in the building and they, they're taking people from the county offices if schools get because there's so many unfilled jobs that are like okay you know because Friday and Monday are your biggest days where teachers take off for things and they're like we we need a physical body in this classroom so yeah. Stress, yeah I I I thought about doing all online this year because I could have gone all online. And I just thought, no, I'm going to get back to, you know, normal. But there are times where I wish I wish I was all online again, because even though you had a lot more kids and the paperwork and everything was a lot more, your level of your stress level was so much lower because you're not dealing with all of those tiny behaviors of every child that you're now responsible for and correcting.
0: End of part one. The next part will be released in a week. To hear the entire episode now, go to patreon.com slash giving the mic and subscribe.